Well, good morning, everyone. I'm going to lead us in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, your word is life. And so we pray, grant us that life now as we continue to hear and reflect upon and be transformed by your life-giving word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, Tiffany pointed out we're going to be hearing about money today. Money, uh, something we deal with every day. We live in houses it can rent or buy. We eat the food uh, that we paid for at the shops. We keep some in our wallets and purses. We save it in our banks and in our superannuation. Now, I have to say uh, from my year 10 commerce days that the invention of physical money itself is fantastic. Uh, whether it's notes or coins or now these days the cards we use or what we can transfer electronically uh, because it's much better than the whole barter thing that it's superseded. Can you imagine when you catch the bus and the bus driver says, well, actually what I want is some vegetables and you say, well, I don't grow vegetables but I, I, you know, I process photos, I can print photos for you. Can I offer some prints or do I need to find someone who wants photos printed who grows veggies so I can catch a bus? So I, for one, am very thankful for the invention of money. But of course, any conversation about money uh, means we're not just talking about replacing the barter system, but what money represents. Uh, it represents wealth and power, doesn't it? The stuff you can choose to buy with money just as you, what you have already chosen to buy with it. And I don't think it's going out on a limb to say all around us, people have a preoccupation with wealth and money. We have lots of it, so much of it. We are the wealthiest people in the world and look it up if you don't believe me but we so easily want more. And so as every day and everywhere that it is, money and wealth is dangerous. Well, no, that's not right. What did we hear in Paul's letter to Timothy? How we treat it is dangerous. We are a danger to ourselves as Paul writes in 1 Timothy 6 verse 10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Of course, in the same way, we heard the writer in Proverbs ask the Lord in chapter 30, halfway through verse 8, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and dishonour the name of my God. How we treat money can be very, very dangerous. And here's the thing. Not only is it about us, it's doubly about us because there's nothing intrinsically wrong with money or wealth. But because our hearts can so easily turn to love it, they in turn may grow cold to the Lord who gave it, can abandon the Lord Jesus who has given us life itself. So how can you and I be wise with money and wealth? What does God teach in Proverbs that will help us recognise reality and live in step with that reality? Four things. First, 
Wisdom is more valuable than wealth. Then, uh, with that in mind, how do we get it? Uh, Then, what is the danger with it? And finally, how will we be wise with it? Just before we look at money and wealth uh, uh, specifically, though, we do need to remind ourselves how Proverbs works. Uh, The Proverbs in Proverbs are descriptive rather than necessarily making promises. Uh, What they do is that they observe what generally happens in the ordered world God has made. But even more than that, uh, it observes what happens in an ordered world that's been distorted by sin. That attitude to God from which we need the Lord Jesus to rescue us. And that leads on to the other important thing to remember in Proverbs. We still need to use the wisdom we learn from Proverbs to apply the wisdom of Proverbs. You think when you are reading the Proverbs, which Proverbs are observing something that's wrong with the world, but it is in the world nonetheless, as well as those which are observing what's right. And into the bargain, some of them can apply to both. So the situation you find yourself in will determine how we should use this wisdom. Proverbs is descriptive rather than making promises. And we need to apply Proverbs wisely. Now then, when it comes to money and wealth, uh, both those principles are as as important here as they are for any other issue in Proverbs. Uh, But front and centre when it comes to wealth and money is this. Wisdom is more valuable than wealth. Proverbs chapter 3 from verse 13. Blessed are those who find wisdom those who gain understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her hand. In her left hand are riches and honour. We all know how valuable silver and gold is or how sought after precious stones are. Perhaps if the writer of Proverbs was writing today, they might refer to the uh, uh, wisdom being greater value than Sydney property prices. Wisdom is more valuable than them all. And what is ultimate wisdom according to Proverbs? How can you sum it up? We heard it last week in our short time together last week in chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Listen to how Proverbs brings both of those together in chapter 15, verse 16. Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Having the right right relationship with God, our maker, is wise. And that is the foundation on which all other wisdom is built. Depending on God's authority in your life and realising your desperate need for forgiveness, that's the humility that kicks off and pervades all wisdom. And with it goes the repentance to trust him and his son Jesus to meet that need. And so... As chapter 3 says, nothing we desire can compare with this wisdom. She is the giver of life and riches. Riches don't buy wisdom. So, friends, seek 
wisdom. Uh, wisdom is more valuable than wealth. Now, that being said, there's no denying that we all use money. We all need the things it is able to buy. We all have some, and for us in this room, we all have wealth, no matter how little or how much. So how do you come into money and wealth? Well, Proverbs has lots to say about that. And so let's just touch on that briefly. And what it says in the first place is we work for it. Chapter 10, verse 4, lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. Chapter 14, verse 23, all hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. We could do an entire uh, sermon on the topic of wisdom and work, but the short version is that we work to provide for our needs. Our effort, our time, it provides a return. What we produce or the money that we get uh, in exchange for it. That's the way God's made the world to work. But on top of that, Proverbs also acknowledges there's a place for growing wealth. Uh, 13 verse 11 dishonest money dwindles away but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow and so there's this interesting thing in proverbs is this recognition that there's a place for saving and investing Uh, you may not have expected to find that there but as we do we're living in line with the reality that god has made But do you notice the expectation is that savings will grow little by little? The contrast built into the proverb gives it away. The alternative to little by little is dishonesty that leads to sudden gains, whether theft or taking advantage of others or a lack of integrity that drives us. At least that's the general pattern that Proverbs observes. And so if someone or something offers you an extraordinary return, ask yourself, is this too good to be true? Ask yourself, do I actually understand the way of earning or saving or investing in this way properly? Ask yourself, is this ethical? And by that I mean by God's standards. And ask yourself, if I make a gain here for myself, is it because we created wealth or it it came at the expense of someone else? Just because something is possible doesn't make it right. And yet I've seen too many people who call themselves followers of Jesus pursue the possible rather than the right. There's another proverb, this one you don't find in Proverbs, but it captures the same idea that's definitely here in Proverbs that you've probably all heard. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. There are plenty of people out there willing to relieve you of your money. But putting away money regularly in the bank or being part of a super fund, not spending everything we have just because we have it, Uh, And doing that so you can provide for yourself if and when your income changes, that is wise. Now, as we go, we always have to remember this. 
this is fundamental, whether we've talked about uh, working or growing wealth, everything we have, we have because God has provided it. Uh, who else provides the work, uh, the world, the opportunity, the conditions and good things that we can turn our hands to to make a living? Everything we have comes from him and is his. We could read Jesus' teaching from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, couldn't we? How God provides for the lilies of the field and how much more so is his concern for us. Wealth and money come through effort and work with the ability to undertake that effort and the opportunity to do work all given at the kind hand of God. That's how we get wealth and money. But as I alluded to before, and here's where it gets interesting, what is it about it that makes it so dangerous? Its danger is the way that it can affect how we think and how we act. Remember all along here, it's what's going on inside us that is the problem. It, it, it can bring a perception of security and power which affects how you think about yourself and how it affects think you think about the people around you it's a perception that's true too at least to a point otherwise it wouldn't be so persuasive those who have wealth and money have a degree of security that isn't shared by the poor chapter 10 verse 15 the wealth of the rich is their fortified city but poverty is the ruin of the poor as wealthy people, every one of us, and we need not balk when I say that, uh, are we wise enough with our wealth to see such wisdom is true in this life but not the life to come? Or do we put our confidence in wealth rather than the Lord? Chapter 18, verse 11, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. There's those words again. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. You see, if what we see is all there is, we may well be content in our fortified city. In reality, though, even for this life, what we own is not enough to guard us from hardship and pain and difficulty. Only someone who hasn't lived long enough thinks otherwise. Only the fool thinks otherwise. But as dangerous as wealth is for you and me individually, it doesn't just affect me and how I experience life. It affects us. Money and wealth bring power to relationships, just as not having them can leave us vulnerable. Chapter 22, verse 7, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is a slave to the lender. Money brings opportunity, it brings control, it makes one person less vulnerable while the other one without it is more vulnerable. And if you've ever taken out a loan, and many of us have, you know that such a loan hangs over you, doesn't it? Even if it's a bit more remote than, you know, Here's the person who gave me the loan. It's the bank instead. But there are obligations and there are penalties and there are consequences if you don't meet them. Why dwell on this? 
Well, because if you're considering being a borrower and you have a choice, you should always reflect on the wisdom of chapter 22, verse 7. It's really no different for us today. Borrowing from a person or borrowing from a bank or borrowing on a credit card or borrowing on one of these newer afterpay type uh, credit lines. Consider carefully the position you place yourself in before you go ahead. Employees often find themselves in a similar situation as the lender-borrower relationship with there being uh, the potential for a bias against them when it comes to power, where often the employer is holding all the cards because they're holding the purse strings. Uh, they can find someone else to do the job if you, you're, it's not you, and more generally, well, chapter 18, verse 23... The poor plead for mercy, but the rich answer harshly. Money brings security and power, and so it affects relationships. With all that said about wealth and money, how will we use it? How will you use it? Remember where we've come this morning. Wisdom is more valuable than wealth. Wealth is gained through working and saving, but it's all from the Lord. And the danger of wealth is a perception of security and power and how it affects us. That means we must use our wealth and money with righteousness and integrity. Now, what is righteousness? A number of Proverbs refer to it when thinking about money. Uh, chapter 11, verse 28, those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. Then in 11, verse 4, wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. This righteousness is our standing before God, guilt-free, Righteous in what we've become if we fear the Lord. And Jesus, he is the one who makes that possible. Jesus, the wisdom of God, as the New Testament calls him, Jesus takes the guilt and punishment that was ours where we were in the wrong with God. Now we can be right with him. And so it's that trust given us by God this new standing in his eyes and with it the change that he brings to our about in our lives that governs how we use wealth and money. How we think about it, act toward it, and ourselves and each other and above all God himself. And so we must not trust that what we have defines who we are. Instead, it's God's attitude to us that defines who you and I are. It goes on all the time, doesn't it? Uh, people jockey for position in the, in the pecking order. What's your earning potential? What suburb do you live in? What sort of house do you own? But those things make no difference to our God. Neither should they to us. 
chapter 22, verse 2, rich and poor have this in common, the Lord is maker of them all. It is so easy to become blind and arrogant when we believe the stories we tell us about how we came into our wealth and money and what we think about ourselves in holding it. But we must not value ourselves by what we have. Neither should we value each other in that way either. I take it the poor come in for special mention in Proverbs and given all we've considered, the vulnerability of the poor to having enough of what they need or even being treated more harshly because they can't defend themselves against the power imbalance they experience is a very real experience in this life. Shouldn't we who know what it means to be poor before God and who've received the riches we have in Christ, shouldn't we befriend them? When, as chapter 19, verse 7 says, the poor are shunned by all their relatives. How much more do their friends avoid them? Though the poor pursue them with pleading, they are nowhere to be found. Shouldn't we defend them when, chapter 18, verse 23, the poor plead for mercy, but the rich would answer harshly? And shouldn't we be generous to them when, chapter 19, verse 17, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and he will reward them for what they have done. Can we use our wealth to be generous, separately and together? Of course we can. We can. And you have, as a church, in this year past. I can think of just a, a, a number of ways. The tip of the iceberg, perhaps through our partnership with the Anglicare Fresh Food Pantry and the financial giving we make to the mission of Anglicare across Sydney. You also might not know but that we have a, a box set of groceries on hand for someone who needs them when those occasions arise. We give them out from time to time. We also have funds, dollars, to provide financially for expenses of people we know across our community church, of our church, when people known to us need that assistance too. And of course, there's our generosity together in making known the riches of Christ as we share in mission and ministry. And I wonder, what other steps of generosity can you think of that we might take towards our neighbours and each other? The other transforming effect of our righteousness is that we don't chase after wealth. 28 verse 22, the stingy are eager to get rich and are unaware that poverty awaits them. Living for wealth and money shuts down generosity. 
I mean, it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? If I'm concerned about myself and I don't truly understand that it is God who provides for me, then I can't afford to give anything that I have in my possession and control away. Otherwise, what if I give it away and then my circumstances change and I need it myself and I don't have it? But actually, whether materially or not, it will end in poverty that poverty that comes with not fearing the Lord. Far better that your character is conformed to God's character. Chapter 11, verse 16, a kind-hearted woman gains honour, but ruthless men gain only wealth. If you cast your mind back to everything uh, we see, we've seen today in Proverbs righteousness affects it all yes we work to provide but we are generous to those who are in need that's how God is providing for them using us just as he has also used others to provide for us as well and yes we recognize that wealth gives power in relationships but like the Lord Jesus we use that power to serve not to be served because of who God has transformed us to be. We can have wealth and money or poverty, but it must be with righteousness and integrity. I was in Melbourne uh, this week and, uh, you know, sort of... uh, You think about what you expect from Melbourne, uh, what one of our sons wanted us to send pictures back of. He wanted to see smashed avo on toast at a cafe. Uh, He wanted to see graffiti down the lanes. But I went one better, uh, and down one of the lanes I saw street art. How cool is that? How Melbourne. And what it said was, and I'll read it for you because you might not be able to see it just there. It said on this street art, some people are so poor... All they have is money. We have something, no, in fact, someone far, far greater and more valuable than that. Of course, there's more to read and learn about wealth and money in Proverbs. Indeed, as Tiffany pointed out, across the whole word of God, uh, and I hope you'll study it, uh, reflect on it and act on it for yourself. But underlining underlying what we have heard today is this, that wealth and money are good things, that they are given by God and that they are given for our enjoyment and benefit. We should work hard and we should save and we should provide and we should put money in super and we can take out loans if we consider wisely the consequences. But wisdom teaches us Wisdom warns us that there are privileges and dangers, whether we are wealthy or whether we are poor, that neither state is preferable actually. What's most important is how we act with what we have. What's most important is that we live our lives on the bedrock of ultimate wisdom, fearing the Lord. That being the case, uh, 
let's leave uh, Proverbs today on these final words, a proverb which captures and embodies the sentiment we've seen on wisdom and money throughout Proverbs. It's from uh, Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 to 9, we, uh, 8 and 9 that we read out. And maybe we should make this, make this our prayer. How about I lead us in prayer? Heavenly Father, give us neither poverty nor riches, but give us only our daily bread. Otherwise, we might have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or we may become poor and steal and so dishonour your name. We ask all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.